A very good morning to you. It's 16 minutes past eight and uh, time for us to join by our guests, Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Good morning, Andrew. Hi, good morning. And also, let's say good morning to uh, Kerry Craig, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management. Uh, good morning, Kerry. Uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, thanks uh, for both of you for coming on the show. Uh, Andrew, let's start with the Fed. I know it's your favourite subject. Uh, any surprises on that decision this week? And then, of course, the Bank, in Bank of England uh, also underlining that no move. What do you think? Well, none whatsoever in the sense that I'm rather surprised that uh, media like Bloomberg considered that the statement were basically bullish. And so apparently where were the markets? Effectively, what the Fed said is exactly the same thing. We'll carry on looking at data. Uh, data are not uh, totally clear as to whether we have reached the peak. Inflation is, uh, yeah, okay, the economy is not doing too badly, except some of it, for example, the labor market, might not be doing as well as we would have expected. So we stay as we are. Yeah. No, no. So the markets took it as as a good sign. Well, anyway, what do you think, uh, Kerry? Uh, do you think that uh, Bloomberg and other commentators are being bullish? Uh, it's hard to say they're, they're being bullish. I think it's the expectations the market had been reflecting around uh, the idea that you know rates could go further higher in the U.S. and, and the cycle was continuing around the world, um, and then just a really sharp repricing of that um, since since the meeting with the Fed and other central banks that. You know, they, they maybe have done enough that the tightening of some financial conditions they've seen from move higher and yields are, are doing some of the job for them. And I think the market may have gone a bit far if we look at pricing for next year. And in the case of the U.S., almost um, three rate cuts being priced in for next year, given that we still have, you know, inflation and it's going to take time to come back down to central bank targets. Um, so I think the, the possibility for yields to go back up in this environment is very real. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily reflect higher interest rates. I think it's more a reflection of how much of a policy cut we should expect next year. Feels it is a bit of a seesaw uh, action at the moment uh, between the bonds uh, and the stock market. Yeah, I mean, those, those movements in yields obviously had a very strong impact on valuations, especially given how high valuations did rise for certain parts of um, AI and tech-related names this year. Um, that fact that that diversification benefit at times has been very tested between the equity and bond market, um, it has really been something where, you know, investors should have been rewarded in fixed income for falling inflation, but they didn't because they were still thinking about rates being uh, higher. And so I, I think that that's starting to come out of the market. We do think about um, that correlation between yields and, and fixed in, yields and fixed income and uh, the equity market coming off a little bit. Andrew, how do you see the outlook uh, for the next uh, three to six months, as much as a year ahead? Uh, are you seeing positivity? Are you seeing those interest rates staying, plateauing, tumbling, rising again? What, what, what are your thoughts? Well, there are three things going on at the same time. Uh, first is the macroeconomic environment, as far as the United States is concerned. As I said, it is, it is ambivalent. It's not that straightforwardly clear. So I don't expect any great positive news to the extent that... Remember, if inflation comes down very significantly, that is because the economy is slowing down, and that's not going to be very good for the equity side. If inflation stays where it is and the economy continues to strengthen, then the Fed also stays with higher interest rates. So it is uh, like, uh, you know, have you stopped beating your husband <laughs> kind of question. Whatever you say is going to be wrong. So that's point number one. Point number two is, of course, we still have the major issue 
with the crisis in the Middle East and the potential impact of that on oil prices and hence on inflation. And uh, the third point is the United States is not the only country in the world <laughs> that could affect markets. Uh, China continues to be iffy, and uh, we now have uh, signs of uh, some kind of resolution of the debt issue by an increase in the fiscal deficit. And uh, Japan has sort of started increasing interest rates to the extent that the uh, yield, uh, uh, sorry, the high end of the yield uh, pressurizing, stopping it from rising any further has now s slightly lifted. And the government just issued uh, a, 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 an initiative of uh, spending more money yeah, because in increasing further the fiscal deficit of Japan. So this, I'm afraid, they're all mixed things. In other words, China is not doing very well. Japan is changing. Uh, Britain actually said that the overall economic performance is going to worsen rather than, rather than improve, and the United States stays as is. You know, take them all together, look at them, and uh, I will not say we're off to the races, are we? Uh, Kerry, are we, are we going to see a recession in the U.S., do you think? Uh, is that still likely? No, we don't see any imminent sign of a recession in the U.S. Um, you know, I, I tend to agree um, with, with the statements just there. We've come from a third quarter growth outlook in, in the US, which was almost 5%, but it's not a 5% economy. Um, some of the, the now casting forecasts from, from like the uh, Atlanta Federal Reserve show growth in the fourth quarter, excuse me, being, you know, one, one and a half percent. That's the type of growth we expect to come through in the coming quarters. And as you slow, as you don't get more susceptible to those exogenous shocks, whether it's, you know, high oil prices, which could tip you into recession. But, you know, I think we are sort of threading that very fine needle in terms of a weaker growth outlook with some downright downside risks, but not necessarily uh, thinking about an outright recession. I think that slower growth environment, though, is one where we do have to be cautious towards thinking about allocations towards risk assets. Andrew was talking there, uh, Kerry, about uh, China and some of the other countries around the world. You know, What are the biggest challenges from your perspective for the China market at the moment? I mean, yeah, it's not a great outlook for aggregate demand in the global economy. You know, Europe's in, in a contraction in the last quarter. China has obviously got its struggles. However, we do see stabilisation coming through in some of the, the outlook in, in China. We've obviously got still pressures around the housing market, but we are seeing a pickup in other sectors of the economy. Um, and we are seeing, you know, going to be a delayed impact of that recent announcement around more fiscal support. It's not the big blockbuster one that everyone wanted, but again, I think that in combination with some of the other measures that have been announced will add to that idea that you are seeing stabilisation in the Chinese economy. The biggest challenge they have, though, you know, they can spend money, they can build things, they can renew infrastructure, but it's very difficult to restore confidence in consumers and the corporates in China, given, A, uh, the need for funding from foreign investors, uh, and also thinking about the regulatory risk and the, that fact that that's heightened over the last years. So I think that restoring of confidence and, and sparking those animal spirits mm. to really reignite um, equities over there is going to be a bit more of a challenge. Long term, there's some great themes there, but I think the near term, people are still a little bit cautious when it comes to China. Andrew, there's quite a bit of uh, restructuring going on at the moment, particularly re reconfiguration of uh, China's financial control body. Well, I mean, you, what, what are your thoughts there? Is that going to make a big difference? Um, point number one is what has happened in terms of uh, uh, recalibrating and creating two separate 
sort of bodies, okay, but with the Communist Party sitting completely on top, is very much par for the course. Uh, it is very much consistent with what the President Xi has been doing, and that is concentrating more and more over the power of decision-making, not in his hands, but in the hands of the Communist Party. And my concern with that is, is that given that the resolution of the debt issue in China will involve the provinces and will involve municipal authorities and will involve a degree of belt tightening, if something was to go wrong, in other words, let's say it prolongs the recession in the housing market, then the blame would be blamed, the blame would be laid at the at the doorstep of the Communist Party. And I thought that's uh, not perhaps the best way of doing it, as opposed of kicking the can down the road, but putting f- firmly in front of the doorstep of the local authorities and provinces. In other words, passing over the responsibility of uh, of uh, of uh, of, uh, of reducing the the overall debt and the leverage. So my reaction was, is yes, consistent with the policy directions in China. Perhaps who am I to actually uh, point out the right political decision? But it occurred to me that, uh, you know, that might not have been the best way of of doing this, but that's the way it has been chosen. How could, uh, you know, some of this kind of restructuring impact uh, the property market, do you think, uh, in China? To the extent that provinces and municipal authorities have been crucial in construction, building, and development, and they have been doing this by borrowing money, then anything that resolves the debt automatically means they are going to borrow less, uh, not going to borrow more. Uh, It simply reduces the issue as far as uh, balance sheets are concerned. So that is not going to help. And, uh, you know, I kept looking at uh, my favorite index, which is the... Price increases in 70, the price increases of newly built homes in 70 major and minor cities in China. And it has been going down for nearly 18 months, 19 months now. And there seems to be no respite on that. So I'm afraid... Uh, and a bit know, grim here in Hong Kong as well. Yeah, I was going to tell you. The worst number in Hong Kong, which passed more or less unnoticed, is that the number of mortgages with negative equity really leapt enormously. I mean, it, you know, I'm, I'm just giving you old figures from the last 10 years. It used to be 2,000, 3,000. Now mm. it's over nearly, I think, 12,000. That's a very large number of mortgages. And the sum total of mortgages involved runs into billions of Hong Kong dollars. I'm not saying people are going to default. All I'm saying this is all this ain't good fun. <laughs> Obviously not a time to put uh, uh, money into Hong Kong property market, or maybe it is. What, what are you seeing out there, uh, carriers, uh, p- possible opportunities at the moment? Well, I think there are some opportunities within within the equity space. We are, you know, broadly going to be quite neutral in, in thinking about being a focus on quality. For us, it really is thinking about the the prospects in terms of companies that can maintain pricing power as there is weaker growth, the ones that have uh, better control of their operational costs to, to keep margins up, or even those that have more cash available on their balance sheets, given that's going to be benefit as interest rates rise. I mean, so there are some um, opportunities within the industrial space there. There are some opportunities within the energy space there. But I think as valuations on the equity market come down, you know, we'd also be looking into buying back into some of those big secular themes around AI that we see persistent. However, the biggest opportunity is in the fixed income market. If we look at where bond yields are compared to their history, you know, this is a pretty much once in a decade opportunity to actually generate some income in fixed income um, and think about those compounding yields and really lock those rates in. Even if those yields may move a little bit higher in the short term, you know, 12 months from now, they are definitely going to be lower in our view. So I think that fixed income side is is much more appealing.
Any uh, quick thoughts on opportunities from your side, uh, Andrew? Uh, avoid, you know, this is not going to, 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 to get me the Nobel Prize for the year, uh, but of course avoid anything that has to do with uh, interest rates in the United States. Also avoid positions on the bond markets because, you know, they, uh, we, had, we had a major sell-off and then slightly again the bonds uh, recovered and yields fell. Uh, a few mm. basis points. So they are really based on complete expectations. And expectations are, are really very difficult to manage, both in terms of quantity and in terms of size. So I prefer things that do not relate to interest <laughs> rates. And in the past, I pointed out to the defense sector, to some of the pharmaceutical sectors, and something to do with uh, uh, renewable energy, because the outlook for the climate, for the world, is getting significantly worse. And that is basically, I'm afraid, bullish for anything that has to do with renewable energy. Well, we'll keep an eye on those uh, <laughs> sectors. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Andrew Ferris uh, is the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. And also joining us this morning, Kerry Craig, uh, Global Market Strategist at JP Morgan Asset Management.